Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a new podcast showcasing the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. That's been my philosophy a little bit on life. I reach for the, the stars and maybe I'll get to the moon. Of course, people are deep in character and, and they're triers. Yes, we can have lofty goals, but I think we should have realistic expectations. Treat every horse like it's the greatest horse you've ever had. Hi, welcome to another episode of What's Your Why? Firstly, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. So far, What's Your Why has released a total of six episodes, and I have to tell you, it's been such an inspiring experience working with new people, learning new things, and most of all, feeling like I'm getting a constant hug. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the encouragement. And most of all, thank you for listening. So getting back to it, those little tidbits of awesomeness that you just heard were the inspiring words from our guests in this episode. Calling in from home in California, I was able to chat with husband and wife team Tracy Barman Brooks and Carlton Brooks, affectionately known as CB, of Balmoral Farm. I could continue to rhyme off a list of their accolades, credentials, shiny stars, and awards, but I'd really like to simply lead with, they're my friends. I take such an extreme amount of pride in having the opportunity to say that. Without getting too real, a few years ago, you may or may not know that I found myself in a very new and slightly overwhelming situation. I was offered an opportunity to fulfill a contract in California. It was such a wonderful opportunity and I jumped at the chance. The only problem? I could count on one hand, with one digit, how many people I recognized there when I arrived. So now insert Tracy and CB. They were, without a doubt, the most welcoming, calming, reassuring, friendly, motherly, fatherly, caring, the list goes on, people that made me feel immediately at home. If I had a problem, a question, or just needed some advice, I didn't have to look further than their smiles to know that I was okay. So without making a long story long, I now don't have enough digits or hands to count the endless friendships that I was able to form fulfilling that role, and I certainly have CB and Tracy to thank for leading the way and welcoming me into their world. Please enjoy my conversation with them both, and I can assure you that whether you're a horse person or not, you'll most certainly find some relatable inspiration in this episode. I know that you both fell in love with horses early in life. I learned that from a previous podcast that I listened to. Um, but was there a pivotal moment or experience that made you want to continue with horses as a profession? I don't think there was a pivotal moment. I think I always knew. It was something that motivated me. Really, I think it was the only thing that motivated me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really great at anything. I wasn't that excited about school. I wasn't a great student. I got kicked out of ballet. My mom tells that story. They they called her and said, this, this is not for her. You probably should save your money. Do something else. Did you have to do something to get kicked out of ballet? Because I'm sure people would want to know how you went about that. No, um, I know, Helen, because you know me, you think I probably did something. But it wasn't a behavioral thing. It was actually like an incredible lack of talent and coordination thing, I think. Wow. Yes. And they called my mom and they were like, oh, no, we can't with her. We can't just I was fine. Kind of okay at gymnastics, but ballet was really tragic. You were out. <laughs> out. 
So I started riding when I was young at camp, at day camp. And I just had always loved animals. My grandfather used to take me to the racetrack. I was like three or four. He'd come and pick me up and we'd go. He'd bet on the horses and I, he'd take me in the back. I'd pet the horses. And then I rode at camp and it just kind of kept going from there. And my parents weren't horse people, so they did the best they could navigating all that. But at a specific moment, I just kind of always knew it, it was my thing. Mm-hmm. So CB, how about you? Did you always know that you wanted to um, do horses as a profession? I think so. Since I started riding, riding was such a struggle for me. Even learning how to walk trot and canter, believe it or not. Really? And, uh, the challenge of it, I didn't never wanted to not conquer a challenge. So I think I stuck it out then. And then uh, living on a farm was very lonely and the animals became my friends. So yeah, and then I don't know, I just started to bond with them. Yeah. So, when did riding not become a challenge for you? Because it clearly is not a challenge for you. Maybe tomorrow. Right. <laughs> I knew that would be your answer. <laughs> Riding's a challenge. It should be for anyone that wants to do it to the highest level they can. So, yeah. Riding's a challenge, not to go off subject, but to, to understand the horses and accomplish things is much more of a challenge. And then the unique bond of creating the association between the horses and the riders is an Mm -hmm. ultimate challenge. And I think Tracy and I thrive on that. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are known to, uh, to put people with the right kind of horses and to help them succeed. That's something I always notice. That's for sure. And your training program seems to fit for so many types. I'm not a professional, but, uh, people always have fun in your program, which is nice to see because that's not across the board. I think sometimes. So you met in 2001. I heard you discuss or talk about your wonderful relationships and how you met and how that sort of blossomed and moved forward. You did all the things naturally. Um, And I know that at the time you had two businesses. CB, you had yours and Tracy, you had yours in California. Tell me a little bit about, if if it's not too personal, about did you merge those businesses or did you create one new one and maybe some challenges that you faced uh, getting Balmoral Farm to look like what it, that does today? I think it just, it sort of happened organically. Yeah. We started doing more and more together. And then one day it just sort of was like, okay, I guess we should just both stay in the same place. And it did, I mean, it, it was it was a little bumpy because we were both used to sort of doing our own thing. And it took a minute to figure out who was going to do what and to kind of divide the responsibilities or who was the final say or how to work together and when to pick our battles and all of those kind of things. So I think, I don't know, it's been 10 or 12 years now and I think we are figuring it out finally. Is that something that was a challenge for you or is it something that just sort of happened? Carlton might have a differing opinion. It wasn't a challenge for me. I mean, there were moments that were challenging. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You're not going to say I wasn't a challenge? <laughs> You're still a challenge. <laughs> I mean, we had our moments, definitely. But I think we we have the same philosophy and we have the same end goal always. So I think that part is not a challenge at all. Yeah. Sometimes just, you know, the way things are timed or, or how we're going to get to that end goal but we both know that the other one has the same end in mind. So it never really turns into an argument or anything like that. Right. In this industry, the equestrian one, do you feel as if it's 
very simple and possibly infectious for amateur athletes and young professionals to suffer from lofty dreams or goals. There's an additional part to that. If yes, what would your advice be to make them more attainable? I think it is infectious for people to have lofty goals. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but I think looking at, at our sport, you know, you say like, look what so-and-so is doing and, you know, comparing yourself to other people or wanting what someone else has, like can be good and bad, right? It can be inspirational and it can spur you on, or it can also kind of paralyze you or, or poison you in a way. So I think as long as you have the right attitude about it, we encourage lofty goals. We want them to be somewhat attainable and realistic, but why not dream big? The next step would be just breaking that goal into bite-sized pieces. So if you don't get all the way to the end, like you're enjoying the process and you're getting some of it. And, and I don't think it should be results oriented all the time. I think we lose sight of the process sometimes if, if it's only about results. So The short answer is we encourage lofty goals, but we don't want people to get hung up on them or have them turn into something negative. As long as it stays positive, it's a good thing. CB, do you have anything to tack on to that? I think that she really hit it on the head. We're talking about the process. I think when people get wrapped up in showing, they they forget about the process. And I think when you take a a step back and something, something I've learned now that I'm in my sixth decade of living, uh, is to savor the process with a horse and enjoy each step along the way and, and see it as an adventure and a journey. Every horse. I think that people with their lofty goals forget the amount of dedication and commitment it takes to achieve a top end goal. I think mm-hmm. that they think they can just do it once or twice. You know, to become an expert at any part of your career. So we're going to talk about riding. Any part of my career took 10,000 hours to become an expert. And that may be raking the barn aisle, but I have raked hours and hours of barn aisle. And as I raked barn aisles, I watched and observed my horses. So I did multitask uh, to teach myself, but people don't put in uh, that much dedication and then they want the answer right away instead of absorbing things and allowing the answer to come to them. I think that's where there's a balance between lofty goals and actually understanding how you would achieve them. Mm -hmm. My father always said you needed to put the time in, but at the same time, allow the process. And the long lofty goals and dedication, people don't observe enough. They Mm -hmm. ask questions and they expect an answer. They don't observe and learn the answer. So, and that helps you achieve your goals. If you observe and understand the whole picture, then you can achieve your goals. Yeah. And that can be true across the board, inside riding and outside of riding. You know, if you observe and watch what other people are doing, then you're going to learn something somewhere, right? Well, sometimes I think your goals can change too. And I think if, if you have an open mind and you're willing to pivot and you see things as life lessons, like you said earlier, Helen, Maybe you thought your goal was A, but it turns out to be S. Mm-hmm. You learn that along the way. It's not linear. Right. I don't think it, it can be linear, especially with horses. You know, you have a horse that gets hurt or you get hurt or something happens. So I think you, you have to be open to think that your goals might adjust as you go. I think uh, with, with horses, sometimes you have to set your goal 
higher, just like that thermometer where they say they're doing a fundraiser and they fill it in with the red and the red. But I always thought I had to get farther than the top because then I got closer to the top to achieve my goals. Yeah. That's been my philosophy a little bit on life. I reached for the, the stars and maybe I'll get to the moon. So at the same time, you have to realize you really got what you truly inside wanted, but maybe you didn't get the ultimate goal that everybody right. thinks they want. Uh, CB, I've heard you reference the importance of a practical education in things such as finance and business. How would you advocate for young athletes to achieve an education such as this? And how do you think it can be incorporated into their ultimate success? Well, I feel anyone that is going to go into any facet of any business besides just being an employee has to understand general business practices. I think that anyone that wants to understand the business they're in has to look at it as a graph and see the ups and downs on the way. We know our business goes in cycles. So we prepare for a low cycle when we have a high cycle. When we have a low cycle, we know that we have hope to get mm -hmm. back to the high cycle. And it helps us with the ebb and flow a little bit. But people need, to, I read everything. I, I did short college education, very small. But when I stopped going to college and was riding as a youngster professionally, I got 32 periodicals a month back mm -hmm. when you read magazines. And they were business magazines, Forbes, Fortune, general business magazines, and horse magazines. And I read them cover to cover over and over again. And so I was up, and then I started reading the Wall Street Journal every, I had it mailed to me, so it was a couple a day late, but I always started reading the Wall Street Journal. So I understood everything, and I understood where our clients were coming from. Because they, one client watched the stock market, so he wanted buy a new horse, but then all of a sudden the market dropped. I knew not to call him up and say I found it that day because I get a no. I waited till it started to go back up. So that's just business using the knowledge you get to help you achieve something. Mm -hmm. uh, so education being important to the both of you. In my research, I think that so is mental skills and mental health. How much importance do you put on mental skills coaching and why do you think that more people in the industry don't activate this resource? To us, it's as important as, as riding. Yeah. If you think you can't, you can't. Mm -hmm. And if you think you can, you can't. We do huge amounts of visualization, mental skills, positivity, because it is a really, it's a humbling, hard sport. And every day is different. So if you can't picture yourself winning or you can't picture yourself having a beautiful round, then you're not going to. And conversely, when you have a bad round, right, you don't want to get just sucked into the vortex of poor me or I did a terrible job. I'm a horrible person. I'm a terrible rider. So I think knowing how to talk yourself off the ledge and how to talk yourself up and how to redirect your energy, those are huge, huge, important skills. Mm -hmm. And if you feel yourself kind of going a little south, just how, what's your trigger? How do you stop that? How do you turn yourself around and really use your energy for something that's going to benefit you? Mm -hmm. Is that something you've always incorporated into your business or did it take some time to develop that or recognize it? Or is it just something you guys have always come to the table with? We've always done it on some level, but I think we've honed it over the years. Tanya Johnston has helped us a lot with it, just sort of recognizing it and verbalizing it. And now we feel like we have an actual system for it. 
we always knew, I mean, obviously it was good to have a, a positive attitude and all that, but now we actually have the tools behind it that work for us. Yeah, that's great. It's nice to see that that's been incorporated into into your program. I agree with you. It's so important across all walks of life. You have to be able to direct yourself mentally according to whatever you're faced with and not always maybe rely on others. You have to have the tools in place to know how to do that to get to where you want to get. How do you think that riding and showing horses relates to success in life? I think that it's the same along with the mental part. Riding and showing horses introduces you to a lot of different situations and different walks of life and teaches you how to deal with them. There's hardly a rider that comes out of the junior ranks that couldn't go to the airport by themselves, fly somewhere, get a ride to wherever they need to go and check in and deal with and read people through the airports, in the taxi or Uber, and know if they're okay or not. Riding is a a world that as people start to fade off into one direction and go down, someone reaches behind them, gives them a little shove and pushes them back toward the other side and pushes them back. And I think that happens with the juniors. They see them start to get in trouble a little bit. Somebody sees them out back goofing off, but it's okay. But when they start to cause a problem, they push them back a little bit. Maybe they don't go tell their parents, but hey, you guys need to stop that, head back this way. And I think it's Mm -hmm. a very secure world. And I think it's a very safe world compared to anywhere else to have your children grow up or young adults. And we've had juniors that have gone on to be in the Peace Corps, run a charitable company in New York City, but they lived in California their whole life. They handled it. Nothing phased them. And their parents said that, oh my gosh, they just got back there and everybody's telling them all these problems are wrong. And they go, okay, no big deal. Let's take care of it. And off they go. It's just like being late for your class, forgetting your riding boots, riding with two right-hand gloves on your hands, borrowing somebody else's helmet because... (laughs) Who knows where ours is? And they do it. And you're exposed to so many different things as you ride. But if to go out in the real world, I think you have such an advantage. And I think a lot of parents now realize that. It's not actually about being national champion. It's about my kid's going to be able to walk anywhere and do anything. Teaching life skills, teaching independence, and being able to pivot, as you mentioned earlier, Tracy. They're going to have a positive attitude about it, too. Absolutely. We can handle this. We yeah. can handle this. And they're leaders. Riders end up being leaders. Yeah, that's a good point. More than followers. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Tracy, I referenced earlier an interview that you guys were a part of last year. And in that, you mentioned that this sport attracts high achievers. Why do you think that is? And do you also think that it can create high achievers? Absolutely. Um, I think in this sport, you can't be afraid to fail. You embrace adversity. Every day is different. It's the unknown. There, there are just so, so many different aspects to it that you have to push through. And I think if, if you're not confident in yourself, at least a little bit in the beginning, you can't even face that. And once you do start facing it and it's just all these stepping stones of, oh, I actually can do it. I think you have to have some stick to to, to even want to do this sport because no one can serve it up to you and you have to keep showing up. So I think to some degree, to even begin, you have to have a sense of being an achiever, even if that's not how you label yourself. Mm-hmm. I think, again, like it goes to what we were just saying, that it breeds confidence, it breeds independence, accountability, responsibility, all those things. So I think those have to be in you 
to want to do this at any level, whether you show, you don't show, just having a horse. I think you have to be able to take care of yourself, take care of something else, show up, be responsible. So I think that it goes into people who show you have goals, you want to, you want to achieve. And maybe your achievement that day is not falling off. Maybe it's just going in a straight line, but you're always looking for the next thing. I think horse people by nature are really resilient and horse people are deep in character and, and they're triers. And I think that that's just part of the sport. It attracts that type of person, doesn't it? I think so. In reference to the same interview that you did last year, you mentioned that it's important for people to be good winners and gracious losers. That comment resonated with me. Do you feel like this is something that can be taught? And if so, do you have any techniques that you use? CB, I can start with you this time. And I know that Tracy will have things to tack on. I think you need to be a a gracious winner. And I think you need to be a gracious loser. doesn't mean you're a happy loser. So... Uh, you're always going to lose more than you win in our sport, but how you handle it. And I take it when uh, I feel defeated or lose is what do I take away from this? How do I make it so I'm better prepared for the next time the situation arises? Mm -hmm. And I think that if we teach that gracious winner is, is great. You never want to rub it into someone else's face that lost. But if they give you a compliment that you did succeed, you should take it. And we teach our people to look the person in the eye that's giving them the compliment. And I think that's so important these days is eye contact, especially with social media and telephones. It's not practiced enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, direct communication is so important. So, And when you lose or you were beaten, you have to take away from that. If someone mentions it to you, you have to find positive in it. Because right away, then your mental aspect is positive again. Mm -hmm. Yes, you didn't do as well as you hoped, but you have to be positive about it. And a good horseman will always take the blame for the horse. Mm -hmm. Because usually the horse doesn't perform at the level you're asking it to compete if you weren't prepared properly. And maybe that's just by the process of needing to do it more. I'm not saying that somebody didn't do the best they could. But also... uh, we teach our young kids never to brag to the ones that were beaten about how well they did do. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most detrimental thing that can happen with being a gracious winner and loser because those kids are already feeling bad. Uh, it's pretty much gospel in our barn that you uh, reach the ones that didn't do as well. Right. And graciousness goes both ways that way. For lack of a better term, but do you find that it – maybe takes the competitive nature out of the sport a little bit. It's probably not fair for me to say that, but I know that a certain amount of winning is also feeling competitive. It's always a personal challenge in the ring when you're competing. Really, when you show it, show a horse, you're competing against yourself to produce the best thing you can. Okay. Someone else may produce better. It's just like taking a test. You do go to get the best grade you can. You may only get an A you know you gave it 100%. Someone else may get an A plus that day. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's only the person grading those tests, mm-hmm. which is the judge. So if it was a written essay, one teacher would like it our essay better than theirs. Another teacher would like Susie Q's better than ours. So you have to take that into perspective. I agree with it. You're competing against yourself. So that sort of 
that puts that part into perspective where if someone else wins, have they beat you? No, you're going against an ideal and everyone's going for the same ideal, but you're working with a live animal and maybe it got up on the wrong side of the bed that day and you did the best you could with what you have. And that's part of the mental skills training that we do is you control what you can control. And you can't control your horse's mood. A lot of times you can't control your own, even though you try. You can't control what, what's ideal in the judge's mind. So you do the best you can with what you have. And if you, if you did your best and you gave 110% and you achieved your personal goals, then that's a win. That's why we just try not to focus too much on outcome. And if you do that enough times in a row, the outcome will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. When, when the parents ask us a lot of times, this is really interesting because horseback riding looks easy, right? It looks like you're, you know, quote unquote, you're sitting there and the horse doesn't right? work. So for parents, especially who haven't ridden, they sometimes will, will say to us, you know, in the nicest way, like, why aren't we doing better? You know, so-and-so has won a lot more than my child. And I often say, like, especially to the dads, when you go to the golf course, do you get a hole in one every day? Sometimes don't you just play a, a really bad round of golf? It's the same thing, except factor in a live animal. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we, we can't, we can't be too hard on ourselves and yes, we can have lofty goals, but I think we should have realistic expectations and we should be kind to ourselves and our horses that everyone's showing up and trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. So I heard you say once that you can hear what people don't say. Why is it important to hone this skill? It's the first time I, that I heard somebody express that that way. And when I listened to you, I thought, wow, that is so true. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could very easily, when you spoke to people, always be able to read between the lines and hear what people don't say so that you can assess and you can react accordingly, whether it's positive or negative or whatever that is. And I thought that is such an interesting thing. And I want to master that. <laughs> I don't know how, but I want to master that. (laughs) In any endeavor, whether it's business or personal relationships, that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't even know what they want or what they're trying to say. So I think reading people and, and having empathy and putting yourself in that person's position, I find with horses, a lot of times it's fear-based. So they're getting through some kind of anxiety or, or fear situation that they might not even recognize that they have. Mm-hmm. So I think especially dealing with adult riders, dealing with kids, dealing with parents, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, I think is, is huge. Yeah. CB, do you have anything to tack onto that? Oh, yeah. So a great teacher once said, I speak to everyone the way I would like to be spoken to. Uh, and I've taken that philosophy now wholeheartedly. And I think it's, we've had more positive results trying to understand what they don't say. I I'm married. So you can understand I struggle with that daily with my wife, but I'm noticing now in today's world and not just since COVID, but a lot of people come with a lot of baggage, meaning baggage, meaning other things going on in their life that then when they get on to do their passion, which is riding, whether it's a hobby or a total dedication passion, they don't release all that. So as a trainer, coach, a person that helps them learn, 
we have to be a confident and allow them to let it go mm-hmm. if they want to release it. But that, I think, is trying to understand what they don't say. Lots of times I'll say, okay, let's go, let's do this, let's do our visualization, let's go. And then I'll call Tracy on the phone and she's six rings down. And I say, you need to come here and school this person now because that kid needs right. someone that they're comfortable with. And we'll say something and she'll send, she'll call me up and say, you need to get down here now to do this. And we don't question each other because we know there's other issues mm-hmm. and we just do it. And I think that a lot of people don't allow that because we're really raising people and helping them achieve their dreams, but face challenges. Writing is a challenge. And anytime you face your challenge and you are successful, you've had a good day. So when you can read what they don't say or what they want to say but they're not saying, is another way to rephrase that, you have to figure out what works. And Tracy and I as a team, I think that really helps because we'll switch. or with one of our assistants in a heartbeat, and it's paid off time and time again. Yeah, that's great to hear. Tell me about your notepad. Oh, well, let me tell you. My little book now, you as when I first met you, I think I used to have three by five cards in my back pocket, right? I believe so, yes. So now I was going to pull these out for you, actually. I'm walking toward them. Just so the listeners can know, he's going to show me what his notepad looks like now. This is just recent. That is my stack of books. <gasps> wow. And now they're all color-coded, so I can tell you it's in a light blue book, and it was about of October of 2010, and I'll find the light blue book from 2010, and I'll find what I want. That's amazing. So that's just a recent stack. So you're a note taker, which has obviously served you well. I'm interested to hear how you think the digital age has changed things about the horse industry with teaching and learning and with horses, really. Well, first off, let me go back a step. My father always said, if you write it down, you'll remember it. Mm -hmm. You may never read it again. When we took notes in lecture hall, we remembered what we wrote. Now people type it in. They don't remember it because it's a typed word. They didn't have to put any effort, mental effort, into forming those words by hand. So that's one thing. The uh, the digital age, I think, shows you. And let's use a video of a horse. Uh, digital age shows the good things. You don't see the bad things. Mm-hmm. Just like when we used to have VHS, we used to buy the tapes and then we'd watch them in reverse. So we'd see that the mistake, and we'd go back one or two jumps, and we'd see why, where we created that mistake. Mm-hmm. And with the horse, lots of times, it takes a couple of jumps, and then it actually shows up. Nowadays, they just watch it, and then they go on with the next. And I think the digital age has taken away the instinct of feeling or sensing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think everything now is so immediate that it's good and bad. What, what I love about the digital age is I can be teaching a lesson to someone and I can videotape what they're doing and I can say, come here, I want to show you. While it's fresh in your mind, you just felt it. Mm-hmm. Let's watch the replay. And that, that's been hugely helpful, I find. And same thing at the horse show. Mm-hmm. Watch your round right away before you do your second round. So I think it's been good. Do you feel like some clients that might, maybe new clients or young people that come to you, do you feel like it's almost a whole new transition teaching them, well, just what you said, CB, 
you can see something else and discover something else. And it doesn't, you know, write it down because it doesn't necessarily have to be typed in. Is it that like a whole eye opening experience for some, I'm not slamming on youth, but for some young people that maybe have never really understood that process before? Because I was taught the same thing, write it down, you're going to remember it. It's effective, but I don't know that young people practice that. Well, when you write it down, you visualize what you're writing. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to your visualization of something. And if you can visualize it, you understand it. If I can go a little off track, what I tell our students is, what did you learn today? Take What are the three things you take away from today? So they give them to me. And then I say, okay, now here's the deal. And I go to the parent. She's going to explain to you what she sensed today and what the process is and how she needs to do it. If you can understand that, she's learned it. If you, as a layman that doesn't ride, can't understand it, she hasn't learned it, and I need to do it again tomorrow and find another way for her to learn that. Mm -hmm. And not only has it helped the writers right away have to review it and be able to picture it and explain it, but it's also included the parents back in the activity because parents sit up on the hill the kid comes out of the ring. She's mad because the horse rubbed the jump. She got six out of eight, had a hard rub. But yet what she was trying to create was this special jump, but she didn't do it correctly yet. If she can explain that to her parents, they're like, well, we need to go again next week because you got to have another shot at this. Yeah. But if they're miserable, parents are like, why are we coming back next week? But that's how you learn it. I remember, and Tracy had the same thing. We had family dinners, and you had to explain how your day went how your horse show went, how school went. Mm -hmm. And my mother used to make us sit there until we got it done. And of course, we all wanted to eat and go. <laughs> and I think that's that time factor again. But I think that helps so much to understand what's going on. Once you visualize it, that goes back to writing it down first. Everybody has it. They all have a notebook with us. They're supposed to keep it in their trunk or whatever. Write down the positives and the takeaways from that day. No negatives. Mm -hmm. Never. We don't go negative here. And they might never ever open it up, but they can look at that book and go, yesterday, this, this, and this. And it resonates. But if it's in your phone, it doesn't resonate. That's right. Yeah. So I've heard your analogy of pyramids, teams, and job security, and it really resonated with me. Another thing that resonated with me, in hopes that it might do the same with our listeners, can you describe that analogy? Yeah, everything's a pyramid. So to be the star and achieve your lofty goals, or to be a movie star, it takes as a pine tree pyramid, branches all the way down until there's a lot at the base. If you don't build that base, you're never going to get to the top because one branch has to go on top of the other. As you do that, it has to be positive. With each branch has to have a purpose, a function, and why they're there too. So there you go. You have to read between the lines, as we talked earlier, and understand what your employees are not saying or your support team. It's a team. One person is on top. The seconds and thirds were really integral to that. All the way down to, in our operation, the newest groom, all the way up to whoever's showing the horses, the clients. But when we have a new groom come in, we all take time to go with them and help them and and build a positivity and never beat them up for a mistake. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously it, it, that pyramid's paid off for us because as you know, we've had employees for a very, very long time. And amazing ones at that. Amazing ones. 
Life is fast paced, especially in the horse industry. How do you guys slow down and enjoy the right now? <laughs> Tracy, I'll start with you. Good luck, honey. <laughs> well, my husband would say we don't, uh, but we try. I mean, we try to have a little balance where we can. Uh, we try to see our families. We travel a bit when we're able, um, usually in November, probably really happened this year. I like real estate. So we do some real estate projects. Those are usually ongoing while we're doing other things. <laughs> no, I, I sort of drag him into these things. But <laughs> in the end, he likes them. Yeah. Do you have anything specific, Carlton, that you do? Uh, no. <laughs> It's all a team effort. It's all that you know, I, I, what I've learned to do now that, uh, especially since I started riding again, I've decided that I'm going to take a couple hours for myself every day. Mm -hmm. Even when, as of today, the, the piles of paperwork on my desk are huge. I will go for a few hours and then I maybe read a book for an hour. Mm -hmm. I've never done that before until last year. And it's definitely helped my attitude. I, I think I'm more positive. I don't know, Tracy may not agree, but uh, like on Sundays, I try to shut down earlier. Mm -hmm. I can't get her to shut down with me, unfortunately. <laughs> and if she does, she gets into the real estate mode. So there she goes again. It's a whole nother business, real estate with her. Yeah. Huge. Uh, but if she didn't have it that way, she wouldn't be happy. For sure. And I'm into mini vacations of three or four days. That usually is good because I always feel I need to get back to the horses and pretty much November till December is the first the time we do it because December's time to get ready again for the winter tour. Mm -hmm. It's always go. And then when we do go, like we've gone to Africa twice for two weeks. Oh, amazing. Oh, it's life changing. Yeah. And I would recommend any family to take their family and go there. Uh, any couple should go there. Yeah. When we don't have internet there, except in the lodge, we end up, doing work for two hours a day. Yeah. And as we go through the lodge, she will check her phone and we've always left a 911 number direct line to Africa or wherever. Mm -hmm. But otherwise we actually try to be like most people. It's like really taking a vacation when you can take a break from the internet and the immediacy of people contacting you. That's great to hear. Africa is pretty much the only place we've ever done that. Amazing. Yeah. It's good. It's nice to see her relax. Yeah. It's funny because I always feel like you're so relaxed <laughs> in all of my interactions. I'm like, God, these guys are so chill. Like it just all works. It's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, we're exhausted. No, I know you're too tired to do anything else, right? <laughs> it's the organization and the advanced preparation. For sure. That's why we look that way. Yeah. Once it's in motion, there's not much you can do. No, and that's pretty, it's apparent that uh, that you're very organized, which is, uh, it's great to see. So my final question of the hour is, do you have any words of wisdom that you can share with generations below that might make them think and react differently to the world? I have a few. Go for it. Little sound bites, but I think that the horses teach us all that the slow way is the fast way. So... Do your homework. Mm -hmm. Keep showing up. Don't be dependent on an outcome. I think COVID has taught us all that this year, that you can be ready to pivot and things can still work out fine. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think those are, are kind of my main ones. CB? Well, Tracy hit two things really hard. Pivot. 
always be able to pivot. Option A, option B. And the main one is keep showing up. As I started out, I had no talent as a writer, literally. But I showed up, and I kept showing up. And it paid off. Mm-hmm. And then one day it did click. But there's a lot of days it shouldn't have. And, and our family raised us to never give up. And I think that's what needs to be instilled more in generations to come. Never give up. Yeah. Keep at it, and you'll actually achieve it. It might not be easy, but keep at it. God, who said it's going to be easy? I'd like to believe that, but I don't think it ever is. <laughs> not easy, but it should be worth it. Exactly. Not easy, but it's always worth it. You're right. And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the What's and Why's for your listening pleasure. Who do you look up to and why? I look up to Tracy. I look up to my brother. One of my brothers, because he's he's been in a tough business and he's I've watched his struggles. My parents, unfortunately, they're deceased, but they laid such a great foundation for me. And my mother had me down pat. She told me every up and down my life would have, explained to me my life would be a roller coaster. She didn't add in it'd be a Ferris wheel at the same time. <laughs> and so many of my elder peers, professionals, have, for some reason, guided me so, so well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they've slapped me around a little bit, but they've made sure that as I fumbled, they pushed me back in the correct direction. And I'm, I'm so, we're both benefiting from it. So we're both very fortunate of that. So the, the list goes on and on and on. The one little sentence one man says to you that, of course, I wrote it down, but lasted forever. Treat every horse like it's the greatest horse you've ever had. Mm-hmm. And every day, every horse I get on, every single horse I get on, yeah, it's just habit now. I mean, it, it. I subconsciously think that. And that horse and I become better for it. I have to say that it's very apparent in how you treat your horses. You're one of the few. Both of you Thank are you. one of the few. So that doesn't go unnoticed for sure. Uh, so Tracy, same question. Who do you look up to and why? First, I would have to say Carlton. <laughs> he gets up, for those of you who don't know, he gets up every day between 3.45 and 4.30. For me, that is not sustainable. Right. <laughs> but he's also in bed at 7 when he can be. But he does that day in and day out, and he keeps going and just his work ethic and level of commitment has inspired me to be better. Not to the degree that he is, but (laughs) but no, really, honestly, that's been huge for me. And just, I always think in my mind, how would he handle this or what would he do? So he's always a a little voice in, in my head. Also my family, I have a really close family and they've been super supportive and that's sort of been a true North for me, my family and all my girlfriends, my whole community, like my girlfriends range from entrepreneurs to moms to athletes. And I get something and inspiration on some level from each one of them. And they all tolerate me being, you know, in and out and, and unavailable and unreachable, or we don't talk for a couple months. And then, you know, we talk like no time has passed. Also all of our, our customers and riders who really have so much trust in us and 
believe in us and let us do our thing without question. And that I think we're so fortunate and we're so grateful. And without them, obviously, we couldn't do what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, what's something that brings you joy and why? You can't say wine because that's always my answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's hers, don't worry. Tequila? Yeah, well, that's a good one. <laughs> no, I do love my wine, but that goes with relaxation, I think, like just taking a breath and taking a minute to reflect. So I think wine for me is that moment of just just sitting down for a second and, and just having a moment, whether it's with people I love and want to be with or by myself, but it's, but that I think is the significance also wine in general. It just represents so much more. <laughs> what we do every day brings me joy. I always say that I would do it for free. This is the only easy does it. Well, <laughs> I can't do it for free because then I couldn't buy wine. Right. But we're lucky. We're so fortunate. And, and I try not to lose sight of that. And when we're having a rough moment or a rough day, I still try to go back to how fortunate we are to be with the horses, be with the people who love the horses and have such a great horse family that we really don't have anything to complain about. I think that the clients trusting us is huge. Of course, then we try to give as much as, I mean, it's, it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. A lot of joy comes from when Tracy's happy because, you know, this business can beat you down. Not that it's a negative, but it just, there's a lot. The uh, joy, someone always taught me, stop and pet your dog. And that really brings me a lot of joy, believe it or not, <laughs> or anyone's dog. But lately, the thing that I've really enjoyed is watching our clients go through the process and see them accomplish things and feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most joy business-wise I've gotten in quite a while. And, and COVID's helped. Because everybody had to take a pause. Mm -hmm. And I think people start to realize it is a process. You just don't go and go and go. And the goal is to go, but you have to do the process. And I really, I can't wait. Tomorrow's Saturday. I can't wait for the lessons. I'm so excited. And I just wish we had more time. Yeah. When you look back through your life, what decision brings you to the most happiness and why? Just need to say Tracy every right? answer. And I got it down pat. <laughs> I was going to say marrying Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Mary and Tracy, uh, I think choosing the horse business. Yeah. I could have gone in our family's road construction business. And my brother purchased that. And I went off on the wild blue yonder to move to California. Actually, it's probably the best decision I ever made when I, the day after I graduated from high school. And to start my professional career on the West Coast. And if you'd like to know why. Of course. I'm happy to tell you. So... I had shown on the East Coast as a junior and the Midwest. We grew up in the Midwest, and Indiana was very backwards compared to most states. They had some great riders. Mm -hmm. I obviously wanted to leave the Midwest, so it was either East or West. And I used an analogy. My father said, you can go to the East Coast and be a small fish in a really big pond. And at the time in the mid-'70s, the West Coast was a little behind. Okay. They had great horsemen but not on the, in our discipline, the level of equitation finals and whatever. Or I could go to the West Coast and be a small fish in a touch smaller pond. And I thought that California was coming on strong and fast at the time. And I feel I definitely made the correct decision. Mm -hmm. I think I would have gotten lost if I chose the other coast. And here I was allowed to bloom 
and grow. Nice. That's the best decision I probably made besides marrying Tracy. There's two good decisions. <laughs> I reminding them about this. <laughs> well, no, that's funny because when you were when you were saying California, I had already thought that moving to California, I think was the best decision I ever made. And for so many reasons, which are obvious, but it was because again, I was taking a leap of faith. I didn't know the outcome. I just knew that there was something out there bigger for me. And I was in Ohio at the time and my whole family was there and all my friends and all my friends were getting married and having kids. And I knew that at least at that moment, that's not what I wanted to be doing. And when I found myself hanging out with my parents and their friends, I was like, Oh no, I gotta go. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) I gotta head to wine country. Exactly. (laughs) I just followed my gut. I think, and just took a chance. And I think that was the best chance I've ever taken that, that and marrying Carlton. Right. You (laughs) got to get it in there. (laughs) But yeah, moving, moving to California for sure. Well, that's amazing. So then now my next question is, what is something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? Okay. I I have it. I think this is for both of us because you'll appreciate this. When someone told me that people didn't want to come and talk to us because we were intimidating. (laughs) I laughed. What? Yes. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> For those of you that don't know that are listening, Tracy and CB are the most welcoming people I think I've ever met in my entire life. And, and we're clowns, right? Right. We are joking around all the time. We love everyone. Yeah. So that's why I was I was shocked and also somewhat offended. Yeah, right. I would be too. Why do you think they said that? Well, we asked a few people like, but enough people have said it to us that we we're like, oh, this must really be true. <laughs> so we asked, and the main answer is they said, because you're successful. Uh, Which surprised me. And I was like, okay, we, we've done fine, but does that mean that we're unapproachable and that we're unfriendly? And are those things mutually exclusive? Like, I, I didn't get right how with the other. Wow. I never really would have thought that before because you're successful. They find you intimidating. I actually never thought that was a thing. I didn't either. Right. Everybody that's listening, it is not true. (laughs) Do you agree with it, CB? Well, she said that and I thought about it and I went, "Mm." but I think people, they don't realize that we really have their best interest at heart. Mm. I think at the same time, I think that if people got to hang around us a little bit, they'd realize that we really have their best interest at heart. Mm Mm-hmm. And I wish they did understand that more. Yeah. We really want to help people and help them become who they want to be and give them support. It's so funny because I've always felt that from both of you. Always, always, always. Like from instantly meeting you, I just felt like, I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, but that there was like a connection almost. And I just instantly always felt like, you know, I was that stranger in a big pond at the time that knew nobody. And I was like, these guys got my back. They know where I'm at. They know how to help me. And they make it easy for me to say thank you. So that's always been nice. So my last question is, who would you like to hear next on What's Your Why as a guest and why? CB, go. (laughs) I would like to hear from some horsemen of maybe not totally showing level, but have could help us with more life's lessons. Horses help us learn life's lessons. It's 
not the other way around. We don't learn life's lessons because they teach us life's lessons. The environment teaches life's lessons. There's so much more out there than our discipline. Mm-hmm. And I have learned so much from other disciplines. I'm probably a pest a little bit when I see Tim McQuay or a great saddle horse man or a racehorse trainer. I start asking questions. Mm-hmm. Veterinarians. Uh, I know some people that doesn't interest them, but the fact is it's another approach. I learned how to balance a horse from watching saddlebreds. Right. No one taught me how to balance a horse. I had to observe and learn it. Uh, I think, you know, if you can get one thing out of everybody you meet, you, you've You've lived. You've gotten a full life out of the deal. And people that are successful in life that have failed many times. I think you learn a lot from people that fail many times. One of my mantras is, "You fail nine out of ten times." So anything like that would be great for me. Very good, Tracy. How about you? I think anyone who has a story, because I feel like everyone has their story of how they got where they are, and that really interests me. The backstory, whether they have a successful business or they don't, or they overcame some sort of adversity and illness. Um, they have a family story, a growing up story. Just I like I like hearing people's background. So I think you're doing a great job, Helen, because I've loved all of your guests. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. Thank you. I appreciate it. I have to thank you guys. Uh, really, with all of my heart, it has been it's been an amazing journey knowing you, and it's been even nicer uh, to be able to stay in touch with you, even though that might be on a small scale sometimes because we're far apart. But I really am thankful for your friendship and for your willingness and your dedication to our friendship and the sport. I really do have uh, have great thanks for people like you on in the world. So. Thank you very much for being a part of my life. I really appreciate it more than you know. I'm getting all teary. <laughs> we love you and thank you. It's quite an honor that you would think to ask us. and We appreciate that. Absolutely. Have you ever seen branded horsewear and apparel that's beyond top quality? Ride Every Stride Inc. is your leading provider of custom equestrian products. Outfitting horse, rider, and your stable with premium branded products. Be sure to look up rideeverystride.com or rescustom.com for all of your branding needs. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why? Our listeners, guests, and our sponsors too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.